0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
1: Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Well, for the Mets lately, two big wins on Sunday night baseball on home runs from Lindor and then McNeil. But in the middle of that bread, some rancid meat, a five-game losing streak that effectively killed off their chances of being part of the madness down the stretch. Maybe things will break right. The wild card's not happening, and probably not the division title either. So instead of gnashing our teeth about all that today, let's get reflective. A wide-ranging, 20-minute Mets-Didn't-Play-Last-Night podcast beginning after the song. Mets in the
1: morning Mets in the morning Oh yeah Mets in the morning gonna tell you what the mess are doing while coffee is brewing now here's josh lewin
0: or never has a theme song divided a fan base like this thing some of you love it and find yourself humming it at inappropriate moments some of you wish you'd never heard it that makes the world go round. remember when we were all arguing about whether or not that stupid dress was blue and black or white and gold on the interwebs it's kind of like that Josh Lewin with you, not in an arguing mood today, I'm in a reflective, contemplative mood today, and I'm inviting you to come along on a bit of a weird ride, because in one podcast we're going to talk a little 2021 Mets, a little Mets minor league history, a little Jeff McNeil, a little Aaron Loop, but the feature presentation, a chat with Mr. Everything Sandy Alderson, coming up quite shortly. So uh, I sat down with Sandy last week and I told him, let's not do a whole Mets state of the state because you're still waiting on a president of baseball operations. The whole front office structure is a whole nother podcast for a whole nother time. But because of Sandy's background, I was really interested to hear from him regarding what he thinks about the general direction of the major leagues right now. And just to establish his credentials, if you don't know. Well, I mean, you go way back, Marine Corps, Dartmouth, law school, law firms, architect of the 80s Oakland A's, CEO of the Padres, and on and off since 2010, the driving force behind the Mets in many different ways. Sandy's A's were very close to winning three straight World Series, just like the A's of the 1970s did. They did win it in 89, and in 88 and 90, they lost because they got steamrolled by one hot pitcher, Oral Hirschheiser in 88, Jose Rijo in 1990. But Uh, I love that Sandy had spent some time in the commissioner's office trying to fix the state of umpiring. That's always been fascinating to me because these days, uh, when the umpires confer to get a call right, if you don't know, that was a Sandy Alderson edict. His whole thing was, let's get the strike zone uniform, let's be less confrontational, let's always hustle, and and if you don't know, ask. That's a four-point plan, which by the way, now needs to include a fifth point since there's replay. Give the home plate umpire a microphone already. Make him tell the fans what the hell is going on. But anyway, for Sandy Alderson, staying big picture here, my basic thing was how's the patient? How is the state of umpiring? The pace of the game? Those overarching things that used to be uh, a part of his every day, just discussing those things at the highest level. So thoughts and concerns and solutions, that's what we're after here in this nine-and-a-half-minute
1: discussion. Here you go. Where are we with, for example, umpires? Are we going
2: to see robots on the field anytime soon? I think we probably will see that uh, automated balls and strike uh, zone um, uh, umpire, quote-unquote, sometime in the near future. I think that, um, you know, what, what Major League Baseball has to do is, is balance that kind of innovation with uh, an attempt to, you know, remain uh, uh, human in its uh, texture and feel, the interesting thing about the automatic uh, ball and strike zone uh, is that uh, it will allow Major League Baseball essentially to change the strike zone at any time. Uh, when I was uh, supervising umpires, we, we, would, we did change the strike zone to try and better define it in connection with and consistent with the rule book. Uh, but it took the umpires a long time to adjust. It doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. With a machine like uh, the automated system, you can you can adjust overnight. And, and uh, you know, I'm not advocating changing the strike zone, but uh, there may be some reason to consider that given where hitting an offense are today compared to where they were, you know, some years ago.
1: And that leads me directly into a follow-up that just makes so much sense, which is, is it that we need to tweak some things or is it an overhaul? I mean, what's the better way to go at this?
2: If we're talking about the strike zone, I think it's, um, you know, what, what we're looking for with the strike zone is accuracy and consistency. And, uh, there's a much higher likelihood of getting that from, from a machine than from an individual. Um, you know, and I watch, I watch games every night and I see, you know, strike zones and, they're, I think they're more consistent than they were, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Clearly, there aren't these, uh, you know, egregious uh, mistakes, but they're not perfect. Now, what will happen with an automatic uh, system is that certain aspects of the catching profession are going to change. Framing will no longer be uh, something of value. Right. You know, it, it's either going to be a so catching the ball, receiving the ball. Um, blocking the ball, those kinds of things will come back to the forefront in catching, uh, which was the case before framing became such a, a big deal, which is really only the last eight or nine years.
1: You know you said something interesting, Sandy, about umpiring as a whole has gotten better. but you know hitting as a whole has gotten better pitching as a whole has gotten better. I would hope broadcasting as a whole has gotten better. Mm-hmm. We're all supposed to be improving in whatever field yeah. that, that we're in. So wh- what's the, the cap? I mean, wh- where does baseball end up? How good can hitters be? Can they time a 108-mile-an-hour pitch someday? How good can pitchers be? Can they throw 108 someday?
2: It's a good question. Um, <clears throat> certainly, the velocities we're seeing today are um, the highest in history. Uh, And that's partly because of um, training methods. It's partly because that's what Major League Baseball has valued over the last few years is greater and greater velocity. I think that we're going to see a change in that respect, in part because along with velocity come injuries. And uh, it's not that somebody throwing 85 can't be injured, Uh, you know, he can be, but uh, these higher velocities that require maximum effort, I think, uh, generally speaking, are leading to more injuries, particularly you know, elbow injuries. Um, at the same time, I think that hitters have adjusted to the higher velocities. Um, you don't see the dominant bullpens today that just throw 97, 98 mm-hmm. the way they did seven or eight years ago. I think the hitters have adjusted to the higher velocities. And so I think there's going to be a you know a trend back toward um, better command um, and location and um, pitchability as opposed to just velocity. So can we get to 108 miles an hour? I have no idea. I mean there are training programs that get these guys you know add three four five miles an hour. Um, we can get to 108 miles an hour if we move the. Uh, rubber up five feet right (laughs) but uh, um, you know I think there's going to be a trend away from velocity toward more command more pitchability, and that's in part because those those guys tend to be a little more durable
1: I know you're supposed to be business ops guy and I'm supposed to be asking you about business stuff here but you've hit on something that now that you're wearing this other hat I'm just curious How much of being, whether you're a GM, uh, president of baseball operations, is trying to suss out trends, where it's going, not where we are now, but where you think it's going to be in two years?
2: I think there, I I actually think there's less of that uh, than uh, most people think. You know, good ideas, great ideas come along once in a while. But in baseball, those ideas become socialized in a hurry because, (laughs) because. You know, individuals move around. Uh, there's a lot of public um, sources for uh, analytics and other, uh, you know, a lot of good ideas are coming from outside the game, not inside the game. And I mean uh, Major League Baseball as opposed to other, you know, elements, colleges, uh, private institutions, etc. cetera. Um, I think what's much more important than sussing out the the next new idea is executing on the existing ideas hmm. um, I think execution is what differentiates the good teams from the poor teams the implementation of ideas uh, the, inf- the you know innovation comes in a lot of different ways and it's not just through an idea it's also through uh, ways in which those ideas are um, uh, implemented and and um, um, in a systematic way through through an organization that has multiple tiers, where consistency um, uh, can be so important. In consistency in communication and technique and um, uh, data. So execution to me is a lot more important than uh, the next great idea.
1: Is that kind of the secret sauce you're hinting at here, that, that to get from A to B, that the red thread, so to speak, has got to be so clear that people can follow. All right, here's the idea. This is exactly what it's going to take to get this yeah. done.
2: So, you know, from an idea comes, uh, um, you know, maybe the next step is a premise and a beta test and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, um, getting everybody on the same page is important. So, how do you do that? Man. You know, you you um, have technological resources that are available. Uh, equally among various levels from the minor from, from Major League Baseball down, um, you have uh, systems of uh, development that exists across the board. But probably the most important thing is a system of communication. So we've been talking here about, you know, we talk about the Mets way or the Cardinals way or what have you. What we want to have is is a like a Mets vernacular. And it's almost like a uh, uh, style guide, you know, for grammar. It's, uh, it's a dictionary. When we say a certain phrase, this is what we mean. And if we can develop the right philosophy, um, boil it down into, you know, more simple communication, and then use that consistently, that's basically marketing 101. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you know, come up with a brand, come up with a tagline, come up with a logo, and then hammer it. And that's kind of what we need to do with respect to communication within our organization is having a definitive way of uh, talking about the same things.
1: It's interesting because it seems like that's the number one thing you hear in football is that the vocabulary in this organization is different than the vocabulary in the other organization. But a lot of times you're actually talking about basically the same thing. It's just it hits your ears different, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So... um, You know, like if, if you're trying to control the strike zone, you can say, you know, we want to be aggressive with good judgment. We want to be selectively aggressive. We want to be, uh, um, you know, there's a variety of ways of saying the same thing. Uh, but different people hear those things differently. And so what we need to do is create an understanding that when, when, when a particular phrase is mentioned, this is what we mean. And, the, and then there becomes no uh, ambiguity. And, and I think that ends up accelerating development.
0: Always appreciate Sandy Alderson. We will do another one or two of these things during the off season, I'm sure. A couple other items here since we got some time. Catching up on the 30 for 30 documentary, as many of you have, Once Upon a Time in Queens. A lot of you just now realizing uh, what Doc Gooden came from and how rough an upbringing he really had. Doc was a 1982 first round pick, looked good enough at the rookie level that uh, at 17 years old, they said, let's get you going here. Let's really get you going, get you up to Lynchburg in 83. And that was a dream team. That Lynchburg team was 96 and 43, single A. And he had reached a whole nother level of pitching. He was called Dr. D back then, and he won 15 straight at one point. 17 players from that 83 Lynchburg Mets team would eventually make an appearance in the majors. Not all with the Mets, but in the majors. That's amazing. Doc was the most talented. Uh, 300 strikeouts, second in Nolan Ryan's minor league record of 307 back in 66. Nolan had pitched in 11 more innings, by the way, and for two teams in the Mets organization. Doc just stayed there in Lynchburg. But at 18, 19-4, 2.5 ERA, 300 strikeouts in 191 innings. There's 14 strikeouts per nine innings. He was basically about the youngest player in that whole level, in that whole league. He threw 10 complete games, six shutouts, almost had a no-hitter, won the triple crown. Lenny Dykstra was on that team, and he had numbers that can be described very much like himself, which is obscene. 358 batting average. He had 105 steals. His OPS was about 1,000. There was an infielder named Dave Cochran on that team. Hit 25 homers. Drove in 102. Nobody ever even talked about him. Randy Milligan had a 430 OBP and was stealing bases. Jay Tibbs was on that team. Went on to big things with the Expos. Some kind of ball club stuck in the hills of Appalachia. Although they still uh, do distill a pretty mean whiskey in Lynchburg. I will give them that. Flash forward to now. Let's uh, talk some big club stuff here. Prepare your Jack Daniels accordingly because the Mets are getting ready for the Red Sox tonight at Fenway. And the Sox are in the middle of that migraine-inducing wildcard chase in the AL. Mets have to go against the lefty Eduardo Rodriguez, who features a little bit of everything. And we need to note, when facing a guy like this, who's basically a Hickory Farms sampler platter of stuff, the Mets hit sinkers the best. Fastball's not so great. Sliders and curves horribly. If you go to Fan Graphs and look it up, the Mets have been worth uh, about a negative 1.8 runs against fastballs or a minus 6 on sliders. They're a minus 12.5 on curveballs. That's the worst team in baseball against curveball. Michael Conforto and Kevin Pilar bear the brunt of that. Conforto against curves this year is slugging about 230. And of course, Michael, we've talked about this. is not the only member of the Regression Club here in 2021. It's just he does get a lot of attention. Uh, The Regression Club, that's Conforto, McNeil, Dom Smith, and Lindor. And that's why the Mets are on the fringe of uh, talking about that old standard, meaningful September baseball. That's a phrase Mets fans have always hated for very good reason. MSB, meaningful September baseball, is a formula for extracting maximum pain From the fans, construct a team that's good enough to win 87 to 89 games if everything breaks perfectly. And then you say, ah, we just would have had a break or two. It would have gone well. But back to those in the regression club, one guy may be breaking out down the stretch. And that's the squirrel, Jeff McNeil. Started so slowly, strained his hammy in mid-May. That cost him a month. He had a strong return. He had a 9.12 OPS in July. But then he just dropped in August and September. I mean dropped. Now he's getting it again. Last Wednesday, three for four against the Cardinals, and then this past Sunday night, the game-winning home run to beat the Phillies. He always hits well against the Phillies, but that was his first home run in 150 at bats. The thing about McNeil this year, BABIP has eaten his lunch. Batting average—I know people don't love to hear about BABIP, but that's basically what you do when a ball is in play. BIP, ball in play. McNeil's BABIP by year: 2018, when we first saw him, was 360. 2019, it was 340. 2020, it was 335. This year, it's 278. So maybe he's just been unlucky. I know nobody wants to hear that, but it does seem like a lot of times this year when he hits it hard, it's right at somebody. Going forward here, if the Mets re-sign Baez to play second, McNeil could stay in left. He could end up replacing Conforto in right if he bolts. Big wild card here, we talked about this on a recent podcast, is Robinson Cano. He's still on the books. He's going to turn 39 in a month. What's going to happen with him? Finally, regarding Mets personnel for today, let's do a little love fest with Loop. Aaron Loop literally having one of the best seasons by a Mets reliever in franchise history. And he's not just a, a lefty specialist, because these days that's not allowed. you got to stay in to face three guys. You can't just face a lefty and say, see you later. No Mets reliever in the past five decades has come close to putting up numbers like Aaron Lupe is right now. He's got a one ERA in 51 innings out of the pen. And you can tack on three innings as a a starter as well when he had to do that. Tug McGraw and Jesse, uh, Jesse Orozco are the next lowest on the Mets reliever board here when you look at ERAs. After that is Bob Apodaca back in 1975 before leaving for his Apodaca honeymoon. That is a very old dad joke. That's like a grandpa joke. Abadaba Honeymoon was a song that I think Debbie Reynolds sang in the early 60s. That's before the Mets had ever taken the field and I have no idea why why I know that. But anyway, Loop with the the Bush Light beer cans has become a fan favorite says he'd like to come back for an encore. Thing is, Mets will have to pony up. Only 11 pitchers have ever finished a season with more than 54 innings and in a sub 1 ERA. 3 of those worked in the dead ball era, so forget those guys. Modern times, Blake Trinan had a .78 for the A's in 2018, and he got paid. Other guys on this list, I mean, they they were all-stars who got paid. Dennis Eckersley, Jonathan Papelbon, Fernando Rodney and his crazy sideways hat. Two final notes for you that I've been sitting on and waiting to share with you before we say so long today. Javi Baez is becoming a walks machine. Have you guys noticed this? He's got eight of them in his last nine games. He had had eight in his previous 57 games, so that is better. He had 3-1 in game last week, which certainly beats the 5-strikeout game he showed out with when he first arrived. And one for the road on Pete Alonso. 74 runs scored leads the team. Guys, that is a really low total. He may be the only med who ends up with 80. And he's driven himself in with a home run, 33 of those 74 times. So in a full season, somebody's supposed to score at least 80 or 85 runs. Alonso scored 103 a couple years ago, in fact. But this could be three of the last six full seasons now that no Met has gotten to 80 runs scored. Beltron in 06 had 127. Edgardo Alfonso as recently as 03 had 123. Right now, 74 is leading the 2021 edition. Anyway, two games for the Mets in Boston starting tonight. Then Thursday on the off-day travel day, the Mets and Tuesday's children will commemorate two decades of working together. The Mets are honoring... Six members of that one team for their work with the children after 9-11, Bobby Valentine, John Franco, Al Leiter, Todd Eduardo Alfonso, Robin Ventura, will all be feeded at a dinner at City Field Thursday night. Love that that's happening. But the team itself will be off in Milwaukee at that point, getting ready for three with the Brew Crew. Then it's back for the final three home games of 2021 next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That may be meaningful September baseball. Gotta win at least four or five games on this road trip for that to be so. But if they do that, and if they hold serve against the Marlins next week, then maybe those last three games of the year in Atlanta will mean a meaningful October. Because those last three games were October 1, 2, and 3. We shall see. And now we shall hear the Mets in the Morning House Band. I want to thank those guys for their great work, as always. On keyboards, Juan Uribe. slap into bass, it's Charlie O'Brien. The horn section, Fernando Vina. And on drums, David this is Josh Lewin. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll have an actual game recap for you on the podcast tomorrow. Take it easy. Okay, picture
2: this.